Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome back to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. More boxing, more history, more stuff coming your way. I'm here with my boy Bryn Jonathan Butler, of course, author, filmmaker, my buddy for a while. And I mean, technically, we got some Oscar De Loya talked about, but some fight, some history. I mean, it, it should be a fun show today, dude. Yeah, we got a we got a bunch of stuff, and uh, yeah, I mean. Two, two pretty interesting boxing documentaries hitting the mainstream um, and then delving into a fight that was pretty contentious in its time. And I don't know about you, but I scored it a little differently than I remembered it anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I guess we can withhold our scores to the end if, just to keep everybody in suspense. But I'll simply say one thing about the fight between Floyd Mayweather and Oscar De La Hoya, which we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you know, as a lot of people know, if they know me at all, they might know me through the boxing history, social media accounts. And so semi-frequently I'll post maybe a photo from Mayweather De La Hoya or something like that. Right. And every single time I do, every single time it comes up, they're like gaggles, hordes, fucking armies of people who pop up and say, Oscar won it. Oscar beat his ass. Oscar kicked his ass. Oscar won. You know, Oscar should have won. It was a split decision, you know, stuff like that. I'm just going to tell you right now, you people are, you're sniffing or something. Yeah, I don't know what, what you're talking about, dude. Watch that fight again, and it's no. No. Sorry, but no. That's not what happened, you dirty bastards. No, we'll, we'll go through it. We'll break it down round by round in just a few minutes. But we got a couple things to talk about first. Um so recently, you brought up the couple of documentaries that have come out. Showtime put out an Andre Ward documentary. We'll talk about that a little bit, but I think the main focus is more recently HBO put out a, I guess if you want to call it a documentary about Oscar De La Hoya called The Golden Boy, a two-part documentary. Um, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't I mean. I don't really see these as documentaries. Like, take it away. I don't know. Because I saw a lot of people, like a lot of, uh, I don't write nearly as much anymore, but a lot of our colleagues or former colleagues, boxing writers, boxing media people, I'll keep it brief on this part and let you go go after it. But I saw a lot of people writing stuff like, oh, it's refreshing. It was, you know, an honest look at De and stuff like that. And I'm kind of looking at it like, that's not really what I watched personally. And it didn't really seem like too many writers were taking a critical look at what they were looking at, to be honest. I mean, I'm just being honest. Uh, I'm not going to poke at anybody in particular, but I saw a lot of like praise of it. And I mean, yeah, like, was it like a successful video thing? I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed it or thought it was revelatory or eye opening, but didn't do a lot for me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're moving into I well moving into we've we've moved into a zone where athletes who are marketable, as we saw with Last Dance during COVID and Michael Jordan, these guys have complete control over the way their narrative is told. They don't need to go through journalists anymore. They will never need to go through journalists anymore. So if you want to get contact with them, it's going to be mediated through the way they want you to see them. So you're going to get infomercials purporting to be documentaries, but they are not going to be an outsider telling the story. They're, they're going to have final cut and they're going to have a lot of, I think, intimidating editorial presence while you're working on it. 
So I, I happen to have loved Last Dance because it was footage that a lot of us had never seen in terms of, you know, where the cameras were and backstage with Michael Jordan. Um, you know, obviously a lot of us grew up with him and he's just kind of our version of Muhammad Ali in terms of the role he occupied as such a tremendous athlete. Um, and also fascinatingly absent in the way that Ali was in terms of not being political and the whole, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too. So it spoke to our time that that's the athlete we had. We got the athlete we deserved in terms of he was more interested in being marketable than making a difference politically in a way that Ali was willing to sacrifice huge amounts of, of financial re remuneration um, for, for principles. And, you know, a lot of people who are around at that time feel very honored that they had somebody from their time where those were their principles. Of course, we're in a time where even the concept of selling out doesn't really exist anymore, which is kind of funny. You're an idiot not to sell out now. So, sorry to belabor the point here, but as we get to Andre Ward and Oscar De La Hoya... Ex with extremely those, pertinent, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So with these two guys, you you have... An interesting dichotomy in objective with the documentaries. Andre Ward, who who I profiled for the first time when he divulged all the backstory about his parents being drug addicts and all of this stuff he, he underwent as a kid, his own trials and tribulations where he sort of um, fell into criminality, got into, got into some trouble and then pulled himself together with the Olympics and that kind of thing. That was the first time he went on record to discuss that stuff. So it was amusing to me to see Showtime say, for the first time ever, we're going to go backstage. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the first time ever. He did it in print with me, and he immediately went with a film crew with HBO to do the exact same thing he did with me, the identical verbatim blueprint that he followed with me. I've never done a profile on somebody where they basically detailed exactly what we're going to do for five days. I was just there to follow him, follow along with him about where he wanted to go. And the only difference between what he presented to me and what he presented to the HBO film crew was he was very emotional with the film crew, despite it was the same script um, in a way that he wasn't emotional with me, which was very interesting. Some may say that's because he was being performative for the cameras. Other people will say cameras might make you more emotional than just being with one person. I don't know the answer, but it was fascinating to watch. And I'm just pointing it out because it's one of those backstage things about being in our industry covering these athletes is you notice those things, especially about extremely controlled athletes and people and personalities and he is the most hermetically sealed athlete I've ever been around in my life. <clears throat> um, now, in, in a critical sense of why he wants to put out a documentary, Ward has always been very touchy about his lack of marketability, which is just an objective fact, is he never was a big ticket seller. He never made other people money while making quite a lot of money himself being an unmarketable athlete. I would put forward, you tell me as a boxing historian, if I'm wrong, is there a worse investment in the history of boxing than Andre Ward? If we're, if we're promoters trying to make money, has there ever been somebody who would be more expensive to get involved with who is going to make you less money than Andre Ward in the history of the sport? And I don't even know who's close to him. 
I mean, I I couldn't say for sure, but I would I would definitely say that heavyweight tends to be on a different level in terms of investment, and there have been just countless fighters who have been invested in really heavily but never went anywhere. But long term, long term. But I mean, but on that level, maybe not, because I mean, you have look at the entities involved, dude. Yeah, I, I gotta check to prove it from Jay Z myself. You know, you got Rock Nation. Uh, getting involved, Rock Nation's a massive company that's only gotten bigger, but it did like nothing for Ward, or uh, maybe perhaps it was Ward doing nothing for Rock Nation. I don't know, you know, but like it, it didn't really seem to do much. The relationship with ESPN fizzle, like every big relationship he's ever had, just kind of fizzled out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I'm in no way speaking to his talent or his no, 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 no. Certainly. He's an undefeated fighter. He's the last American male to win the gold medal. Yeah. And it's not he to has... say he's sabotaging anything. It's no, just. It's to say, has it ever demonstrated bankability, him as, as a person? I was with him in Oakland during that profile for five days. People barely knew who he was. Now, it's not to say he, there weren't some people who say, hey, can we do photos with you and stuff? But I would say more often than not, they didn't say, hey, Dre, can we take a picture? They went, you're somebody, aren't you? That is interesting for a guy who has never left Oakland his entire career. Like, I mean, any other major athlete I know that stayed where they were, like Roy Jones in Pensacola, everybody knows Roy Jones. Everybody. And love him. Andre, it's not that he has negative feeling there, but it was kind of like, who are you again? It was, it was just interesting to be around that. And as I say, he's defensive about it. So that documentary as an infomercial seemed to be auditioning make the big movie about me because isn't this backstory incredible? And it didn't really seem to resonate whatsoever in the boxing world, just as the, the profile that I did, nobody seemed to give a shit. It was just kind of like, Oh, his parents were drug addicts. You know, okay, let's move on to the next thing. Oscar's the other side of that. Oscar was the most mark. Oscar inherited the mantle of Mike Tyson as the most marketable boxer and arguably athlete. Let's remember in this fight that Oscar's going to have in 2007, he made $52 million fighting Floyd as the A-side. Floyd made $25 million. So that's where Oscar was in 2007. I don't know what Jordan or the next biggest athlete in the world was making, but that's what Oscar could command for a night's work against fighting top-level competition in boxing in 2007. I mean, $52 million is more than Mike Tyson ever earned in a fight. So it's just interesting to, to put him in his place. Oscar is trying to redeem his reputation in many ways with this documentary. He's trying to control legacy. It's not that he ever had a problem with marketability. From the get-go, as the golden boy out of the Olympics and his mother, you know, I'm going to win this for my mom and stuff, everybody bought into that story. And in an unprecedented fashion, he attracted women to the sport. Uh, in many cases, upwards of 70% of the people buying his pay-per-views were women. I can't think of male sports in any area that has ever represented that kind of marketing plan, marketing viability with women. I, I, I just can't think of another athlete who's close to that. So that's what Oscar could do, aside from taking on the biggest fights, most of which he lost. Maybe like Andre Agassi or something. Maybe, maybe Agassi. I you mean, know, there's like, a, but a that few. was like a little before De La Hoya too, you know, there's a few, but, but most male athletes are not being compared to, to Rudolph Valentino sure, 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 and, yeah. and winning Latino Grammy awards and stuff. And clearly it's not about their voice. He just, 
had something. I mean, if he was around during reality TV, that I think he could have exploded in, in beyond just what he represented in sports. And this documentary, which I say is more infomercial than documentary, what it does reveal is that he was constantly a substance abuser throughout his career. And it does make you wonder, was he somebody not sabotaging his career physically with his body? He probably could have been a lot better. And, and I'd say in this fight with Mayweather, he's 34, even though physically he looks great. He's got a ripped six-pack going into the fight. He is he is not the same boxer that he was five, six years ago. Like, I mean, he was amazing at, in, in early career. And I kept thinking, we talked about this privately, that Maidana, I thought, put on a much better performance in both of his fights, uh, especially the first one, against Mayweather than I thought De La Hoya was in this. I just thought De La Hoya just, there was aggression. It did not very often seem to be effective. Um, but De La Hoya, I just think about a lot you combine alcohol with being a top level athlete, you're, you're losing a lot off your fastball I invariably. Yeah. You know, and for like your average person, you know, gaining weight, losing weight and gaining weight and losing yeah. weight, like, that's kind of like, I don't want to say normal, but somewhat typical, not really atypical and not nearly, it doesn't affect them nearly as much, or at least not as visibly Whereas obviously a fighter, uh, top level top level athletes like basketball players, for instance, baseball probably not the greatest example, but basketball is probably a better example for what we're talking about. Uh, somebody who's going out and playing many games, many nights a year, you know what I mean? Like they need to stay in shape, and they generally do stay in shape because they're just dropping calories on the fucking court. Uh, so their weight generally is not going to fluctuate the same way, or it might in the off season, but that's it. A fighter, on the other hand, if they're fighting only a few times a year, and then that weight and how, how in shape they are, et cetera, gets put into the spotlight under the microscope far more. And Oscar De La Hoya in particular, you know, people had talked about it even at the time in the early 2000s in particular, that his weight would go up between fights a little bit and that you could see it. And then you could see it now. You could see... Uh, you could see that when the dude's drinking and when he's not, basically, you know, if especially as somebody who I don't really drink anymore, but I drank pretty heavily for a long time and people would be like, you're drinking again. And I'd be like, you could tell, huh? You know, like fucking bloated. You could tell, you know? Yeah, you could fucking tell. And so you could tell the kind of same sort of thing with Oscar De Loya. And there was absolutely no question. We, we talked last week. Uh, when we, uh, you know, talked about Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence and talked about his accident and what that might have done to his body and that those things don't happen in a vacuum. Similarly, Oscar De La Hoya abusing his body, not being very nice to his body, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. And when you're a uh, top-level athlete, it's visible. And you can see it, uh, you know, it 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 wears on you. And only a year afterward, De La Hoya was getting absolutely just shit kicked by Manny Pacquiao, you know, after the Floyd Mayweather fight. So back to the documentary. Um, and, yeah. And sorry, sorry to interrupt, but, but also to say, like, look at the opposite paradigm, which is Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins, immaculate. immaculate. Or, or Mayweather. Or Mayweather. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mayweather too. But never touching a drop of alcohol, smoking, drugs, zero it sounds like with with b-hop the only thing he's ever doing is having like a slice of cheesecake after a fight and that's it and he's probably not even finishing it but the the dividends you get from that kind of commitment 
are abundantly clear. And I mean, he's one of the rare athletes at that level. You get to level. live to be 97 and angry as fuck that you never did anything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But you also you also get to be somebody that I, I would not suspect, uh, or at least I would be the least to of all the athletes that are at his level. Uh, he would be one of the athletes I would hold up as the least suspicious of using performance-enhancing drugs to get where they were. His body never changed. It always looked the same. And as he got older, he looked to be getting older at a slower rate. And changed and, his style to, to adjust his to his, yeah. Stuff like that. But, but it's, it, it's a rare example. I mean, look at Oscar now suddenly having the six pack that looks bloated, exactly like bodybuilders historically with it. So, it Joe Rogan has that. It looks too. like He's, a six pack that's been implanted. To be honest. Yeah. It doesn't look yeah. real. It, no, it's true. It looks like armor, like armor. He's just put. He's put on. Joe Rogan has the Implants. same thing. It, it, it's a common thing with growth hormone. Obviously, that everything grows. So you get this bloated, ripped six pack, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, back to the back to the documentaries. I mean, I just hated both of them passionately. Um, even though, as I mentioned with Last Dance, it was completely curated by Jordan. Like you're not going to get any access unless Jordan signs off. But nonetheless. It's something I put on all the time if I'm working out at home. I never want to watch the Ward or De La Hoya documentary ever again. Like, it, I don't know what they added to to either of their respective legacies. And I mean, I, I I won't speak for Jordan, obviously, but it really seems to me like he's kind of at a point in his life and his mind, whatever, where he's kind of just like, dude, I, I got everything I wanted out of life and I really don't give a fuck how people view me now. And if they think I'm an asshole for doing X, Y, or Z, then I don't care because I'm rich as fuck and fuck them. And that, to be honest, makes for a much better documentary, much better than... God, I, I, I'm super worried about how they're thinking about me and I need to fucking curate this and I need to control the narrative to make sure that they don't think I'm a bad guy and they don't think I'm a bad fighter and I need to make them think that they, this is what you know made me as a guy. And, I'm you know so I mean? honest. I'm so yeah, God, honest. God, look at how honest I am. God, everybody yeah. says I'm so honest. And it's like, dude, when you're honest, you don't need to say you're honest. When you know, like liars don't say the fucking word legit. You know what I mean? Like they don't. Or, I mean, honest people don't say the word legit. It's so it's, but that's how it winds up coming off. Uh, Ward a little bit less so because it's not even as interesting. It's not even as interesting as the Oscar de la Hoya documentary. Uh, you know, with all due respect to Ward, like we were talking about, it has nothing to do with how good a fighter he is. None of that. It's just that his very uh, insecure view of himself and how badly he wants other people to see him X, Y, or Z way. It's not interesting. We already know that about him. We already know a lot of his backstory. And it's kind of, and at the very least, Oscar De La Hoya was kind of like pretending to reveal stuff or pretending like this is some big thing. And at the very least, there's a lot of stuff there in Oscar's background that they delved into with a little bit more detail, I think, and with more, uh, with a better cast of characters to back stuff up than the Ward documentary. Well, and I and I also argue that De La Hoya's fights are far more rewatchable. They're interesting to go back to go back to. And, yeah. he and some people might not like that, or that no. you're saying that, but I agree. It's I think it's true. But even where he loses, you know, Trinidad fight is a reason it's a legendary nights on HBO because it's fascinating. He was dominating Trinidad. I love Trinidad. Love him. And then you but, get to but, see Oscar behind the scenes walking in the tunnel, going "fuck." God damn it. Boxing lesson. Yeah, okay. I thought I won. You guys said I won. 
<laughs> no, it's it's terrible, but it's but it's so watchable. He is an interesting person, whether you love him or hate him, to watch. Uh, I would say with Ward, the comparison that I, the, well, the the metaphor I use for Ward is Ward is like telling you the story of a croupier in a casino. It's I'm addicted to watching people lose. And that's what I'm able to make happen. That's great. And like, he's been completely successful with that in terms of he beat everybody. Uh, even though there was some contentiousness with Kovalev, I thought he lost the first Kovalev fight. And I thought the second one was the most obvious low blows ever, which he does talk about a bit in the doc. But most boxers, why we're excited by them is they're kind of behind the eight ball when they go into the casino. They're risking something. And they're risking something where... If they lose it, they might never get it back in the rest of their lives. And, and that addiction to risk is in extraordinarily compelling to watch. With Ward, it was about mitigating risk, which is what the casino is all about. Now, I give him full credit for being able to occupy that role because so few boxers are able to do that. And I give him full credit from a business perspective to have made all the money he did while of losing money for everybody that invested in him. Good for him in a way, but don't pretend that it's like the audience has some issue with you. All of his God stuff is it's not his relationship to God that I think makes him unmarketable. There are piles of religious fanatics that, that are extremely marketable. You can't, you could be the most brilliant person ever born. And the moment you say you're an atheist, you're disqualified from running for president in this country, more than if you were a criminal or a homosexual or black or, or any number of other things. The moment you say, I think this is superstition and I'm an atheist, you're, you're out. So don't pretend that that is why he's, he's not marketable. What I would say that makes him unmarketable, I experienced while I was with him is I didn't ask and he sort of said, I'm going to take you to a service and we're going to go to a service and he was sort of trying to convert me while we were there. I don't think he would have taken kindly if I would have said, hey, I have this great book by Charles Darwin about the origin of species. You might really appreciate this idea of evolution, et cetera, et cetera. It would be, oh, my God, it's disgusting. I mean, imagine if I go door to door offering maybe, that to people. Maybe that's the fucking idea here, dude, is we need to exchange some ideas with these fighters. Like, sure, you take me to the fucking God thing and I'll make you listen to my uber satanic fucking, you know, to see how you fucking, you know, but well, what I, the Look, dude. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you do the one where we need to respect somebody's faith and respect the military and respect cops, again, participation trophies, the ultimate particip participation trophies, and then we shit on the left for having participation trophies by saying, hey, your kid is special with whoever, whoever they are. Let's acknowledge that we both have them. And, and similarly with the religious stuff, I don't mind if you have your religion, but I, I also have a right to not have it imposed on me in the same way that you'd shit all over me if I try to break down all of your belief system by just introducing all the reasons why I believe Yeah, I'm good on proselytizing, bro. Like that, that's just across the board, you know? So, <laughs> so that is when I, I, I think he has a misapprehension of why he's not marketable, which is about defensiveness, is is just like you you you're in the Hall of Fame, you're undefeated, you did all these incredible things. Now you're bragging about not coming out to fight Canelo when you could make however many tens of millions of dollars, which I presume he could. But the fact that fans never connected with him, I think he bears responsibility for it, just in the same way that he yeah. bears all responsibility for being so successful. And yet he owns the one and he sort of puts off the other and, and he 
finds it very contentious and and like in bad form to to bring it up, but it's an interesting aspect of his legacy. It's not surprising to me that somebody like Andre Ward or anybody on that level in terms of an athlete, we've talked about this a number of times before. It's not surprising to me like somebody that somebody like Andre Ward would be uh wanting to be seen a certain way or you know very wanting to control their narrative or whatever you know a lot of athletes on that level they get that way because of the control they have over at least one aspect of their lives Andre Ward is no exception whatsoever but what I think a lot of fighters in particular uh it's like there's just kind of a misfire in their brain where they can't grasp that what is the best thing for them as a fighter and perhaps a person to protect themselves, to have a defensive style, to just win fights regardless of how ugly it is, you know, uh, uh, and it can probably be applied to Floyd Mayweather to a degree, perhaps Bernard Hopkins too, just in terms of that style where they're wanting to come out on top and willing to do pretty much whatever, even if it's make a fight absolutely unwatchable to do it. The best thing for the fighter is not necessarily what fans want. They Those things don't always go together. And it's very difficult for some fighters to accept that. It's very difficult for some fighters to say, look, I'm undefeated. I retired with this, this, or this record. Why, you know, it's almost kind of like Andre Ward teases at fighting Canelo or teased at fighting Golovkin a handful of years back because almost as if he wanted fans to say, oh, please, come on, please do it. And then when fans were kind of like, dude, are you bullshitting or what the fuck are you doing? It was almost like out of spite. He was like, fine, then I'm not going to fucking do it. Fuck you then. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the attitude that he's had, especially toward a lot of media and writers his entire career. And I'm not saying that it's not justified or that he's not allowed to feel bitter about certain things that have been written about him. There have been uh, writers and shit like that that have been shitting on him his entire career, no matter what he's been doing. There have been. So he's not wrong, but that's not everybody. And there have been legitimate criticisms put his way. But like I said, I'm not surprised that he's not very good at dealing with the legitimate criticisms and treats them as if they're injustices. But nonetheless, like, I'm still going to judge that part of you that you're unable to do that. And so, you know, if you can't get that, there's a disconnect between uh, the audience, what they're seeing and what you believe they're seeing. I can't help you. I would, I would say that what encapsulates why I believe that he's not marketable is something he said to me. Part of part of the journey he wanted me to go on when I was profiling him was to look at every house he's ever owned. And when we got to the first couple houses, I was like, this is a great place. Like he bought this right after he signed with, I think, James Prince after the Olympics. And, and then he showed me the second house. And I said, the second house, this is a nice place. And he went, yeah, yeah, it's too, too exposed. I said, too exposed. What do you, what do you mean? Like it's a pretty quiet residential neighborhood. He went, no, no, no. I always wanted to live in a gated community from, from the beginning. That's who he is. And I said, is that a re- is that because of control. some experience? That, yeah, control, but also I said, have you ever had an experience with, with something invading your privacy? No, but I'm preemptive. Well, that's fair that that's your orientation, but guess what? How marketable is that? How is that, like, how exciting is that? to to deal with as a personality i mean i think a lot of actors run into this issue when they're playing parts there's a lot of actors where when they notice a character they're playing is flawed they go i don't want to play a flawed character because people are going to associate me with that flawed character of course it's the opposite flawed characters are far more interesting 
So there's a lot of roles. If you look at like Harrison Ford turning down a pile of things, he he never wanted to be unlikable or or what's his name? Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Robert Redford. Yeah. Robert Redford takes on mm-hmm. Indecent Proposal and he's like, look, no woman leaves me in a movie. I leave women. So you got to rewrite this whole story. So the book was totally different than the movie simply because his ego didn't allow a woman to leave him in a film because he's so, so fragile. So I think that that controllingness award or like Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson saying he can never lose a fight in a movie. Like that's written into his contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, I get it, but like, get it, but it's far more interesting when you see these, you know, these actors willing to go a dark place. It's the same not exactly showing range as an actor. You yeah, know? That's it. That's it. And they just think that the one note, if it's like nice and, and villain, when did I mean Hulk Hogan was almost more popular becoming Hollywood Hogan in, in being hated than he was in being loved? I know it wasn't the same, but it was such a gigantic like wow! I can't believe I'm seeing him as a villain in terms of of the impact it had on on wrestling audiences. That it was brilliant to see a heel turn, just as it is in Hollywood and in boxing. We're going to get to the greatest heel turn of all time, I think, in the history of sports is Mayweather. Well, I, I would argue Money Mayweather did not have one rewatchable fight as Money Mayweather and yet turned himself into the most marketable athlete in the history of the world <laughs> for, for that duration. Simultaneously, as soon as he got your money and got into the ring, he'd won according to his value system. And he didn't give a shit if he gave you – like the way I would describe Mayweather, I've just given him his due in terms of marketability – there is no great fighter, let alone the top pantheon, more willing to be booed than Mayweather. He did not give a fuck if he had your money. And you can say that's to his credit. Why take any risks, unnecessary risks? Or you can say, this is why those fights aren't rewatchable. This is why they're not enjoyable to revisit. Because I know he won. I don't really care how he won. I know how you know his defense is amazing or whatever. Um Whereas the early Mayweather, Pretty Boy Floyd, I think there's piles of rewatchable fights. I love watching his early fights. They're super interesting. Even the Castillo one where I think he lost just by a point. Uh, it's really interesting to see see that early version of him. But Money Mayweather, hmm. greatest show on earth until he walked into the ring. Well, and and I mean, kind of both of those things, in my opinion, could be true at the same time. But also, especially when you take into consideration and I have no insight into his career plan or anything like I have none. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not that kind of guy, but especially now in retrospect, knowing that he had gotten involved with Al Heyman in the mid two thousands and knowing that, I mean, looking back, I think that this was a far more mapped out career plan than many people realized at the time. Um, that, you know, he, a lot of things happened, not simultaneously, but just kind of boom, 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 uh, in the mid two thousands and in the late two thousands that really propelled Floyd Mayweather into being a superstar. Um, you know, one of them, like you mentioned was the wrestling thing. He appeared on WWE and broke the big show's nose accidentally. Like he punched him on purpose, but broke his nose and that kind of turned him into a villain, but also opened him up to a much wider audience and a more mainstream audience that wasn't necessarily involved in boxing. So I think that there was far more, uh, orchestration going on. 
Uh, before we moved on to that, I just wanted to say one last thing about the, the De La Hoya documentary because I, I had written it down and didn't want to forget. I guess kind of two things. The first thing was that without question, if you ask me, the fucking main star, the greatest thing about the documentary was getting Jesus Rivero, Chucho Rivero, his old trainer, the dude who who trained Miguel Canto, the old Mexican dude who Bob Arum, he was a died in the wool communist. You know, this fucking <laughs> like it's some sort of crazy epithet. Like, this guy's a fucking communist, you know. It's like Jesus yeah. Christ, you guys. But the guy went on there and he's basically he's not saying anything crazy or fucking nasty or awkward. He's basically just saying, like, De La Hoya had a team behind him that was a bunch of bozos. And I was trying to point him in the right direction. And what did they do? They fired me. That's literally what fucking happened. But you know, uh, that was a good part of it. But the, I do have to admit that I noticed in during the opening credits, last thing about that stupid ass documentary was that during the opening credits, the main producers were Mario Lopez and fucking Mark Wahlberg. And I'm like, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. That's it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that speaks those, uh, those two names speak kind of for themselves in this conversation, but yeah, not super worthwhile. However, they do kind of uh, link to this May uh, I'm sorry, Mayweather fight a little bit here. Because we're talking about uh, Oscar De La Hoya as he's kind of winding down as a fighter for a handful of reasons here. Um, you know, his superstardom is kind of locking horns with him being a fighter. And at this time in the early 2000s, already Oscar De La Hoya was kind of uh, written about, talked about he's a part-time fighter. Because he was. He was more, it's like Jack Dempsey in his time, more celebrity than fighter. Every so often he'd lace up the fucking gloves and that's about it. But you could also see his decline because of that. Fighters stay sharp. Fighters stay good because they stay in the gym, because they stay in the ring. Like you just mentioned, Floyd Mayweather, you could say anything you want about him as a fighter, about his likability. I personally have never been a big fan. I don't think he's a very good guy. And, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier before we started recording that I personally have a difficult time separating the art from the artist, separating a person's deeds from what they do professionally. And, you know, I have a difficult time doing it. But uh, that being said, I'm fully capable of recognizing just how good Floyd Mayweather was and, you know, even still is to a certain degree. But he stays in the gym even now. He never gets out of the gym, always stays in shape. And you can see that uh, during this fight that Floyd Mayweather's outsized. You know, he's not nearly as strong as Oscar, at least not over the first half of the fight. And you could see that he's kind of like having to break through a little bit, having to push through. But that that conditioning is paramount, dude. It's it's a clutch for, uh, you know, his performance here. So you're really seeing, um, I think at the time, seem like a crossroads type of fight. And a lot of people were doubting what Floyd Mayweather could do against a slightly bigger uh, opponent. However, looking back and having the benefit of hindsight, looking at this fight, it definitely seems more like a young up-and-coming dude just consuming De La Hoya, taking what he needs and fucking moving on. That's literally what this is. You know, De La Hoya is, you know, it, it seems like something else at the time, but... Oh, it's, that's it's, it's the fight that I watched was a young guy just kicking an old dude to the curb. It's Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton. <laughs> who's that? Who's that girl? Who's that girl next to Paris? That's fucking funny. 
but that's what it is. Where's Paris Hilton now? What has she done in the last 15 years? And Paris Hilton has made hundreds of millions of dollars, but you don't fucking know. And Kim Kardashian is the most famous woman in the world. That's actually not a, that's not an awful comparison there. That's no. it. And well, that's, in, in, in both cases too, I think what helps make that a really good analogy is that both of Kardashian and Mayweather respectively here are the entities that figured out much more quickly how the world is turning 100%. and to jump on that train. 100%. And he outthought him and Heyman, outthought Bob Arum. Arum had Mayweather for years. Nobody He's denied. not marketable. I can't he's sell. He can't, you know. And and nobody denied that Mayweather. Three, four years had... later, he's on pay-per-view. Yeah. And, and up until this fight, when did he ever have a really successful pay-per-view? When was he really marketable as Pretty Boy Floyd? He wasn't. It, and it wasn't because of his inability to garner respect for his boxing. Everybody saw him as a great fighter, as an era-defining fighter. Now, yeah, that's a that that's been retconned. He was on the pound for pound lists in the late nineties. You know, of course like, he was. That's... Of course he was. Now, however, when he refers to himself as the best ever, there was not, as Max Kellerman pointed out one time, really succinctly, <laughs> not one person during his respective prime. Well, you also this other guy named Roy Jones. Nobody made the argument that Floyd was better than Roy Jones at that time when they were both in their prime. Not one person ever. And if you go back and watch the two of them, you wouldn't make it now. <laughs> like Roy was at a different level than Floyd. It's taking nothing away from Floyd as an all-time great fighter. But nobody was saying he was the pound-for-pound -pound best in his respective prime because he happened to be in the same prime era as Roy Jones Jr., who was the best in, in his time. So I think with Floyd, Floyd brilliantly created i mean this is the first time going into this fight maybe as important as this fight or more important is the scaffolding of this fight going into it which is 24 7 gets invented and we get Boom. introduced to mayweather's backstory his Massive. dad his ability to clown oscar and just create tension where if you're not going to support me winning which nobody ever really did you are going to pay even more money to for the potential of watching me lose than anybody you might pay to watch win. And that is brilliant, brilliant self-understanding and, and honesty in what your value is in terms of marketability as a commodity. All credit to Floyd for that. And I don't, sorry to interrupt you, but you might know this better than I do. You might have it even in front of you, but I'm pretty sure that their 24 seven, like broke some sort of record for viewership, like on, on HBO. Oh, gigantic. I mean, you couldn't, it was incredible. It was incredible going into it and it was getting non-boxing people in a way that other, outside of Tyson, nobody, nobody could, even Oscar couldn't. Floyd was incredible to watch in the lead up to these fights. He, I mean, like Conor McGregor in terms of marketing going into fights. I, I mean, I can't stand what he was doing. And as you were saying, I think Floyd is an utterly deplorable person in private life. I think his history with women, domestic assaults, his children calling the police to protect their mother. I mean, just a litany of things, not one or two incidents, but a pattern of behavior that, that just demonstrates that this is a really, really bad person. Um, Oscar, on the other hand, too, there are a number of rape allegations of him paying. He just had better PR people at the time. Better PR people. And I think also racism in the country against yeah, Floyd. Yeah, no question. No question. A big thing, which which Floyd points out, I think, rightly, 
opportunistically also given his own history of horrible behavior um but but floyd deserves all the credit in the world and like this is where he he was auditioning for who he became as one of the world's most famous athletes and then as soon as he got into the ring was one of the most booed i think the most booed great athlete in history because he was very disappointing to watch because you just were paying the excitement value i mean the greatest excitement that floyd mayweather generated in his entire career was when he was almost knocked out by shane mosley there's nothing remotely close if you listen to the decibel level of him getting fucking cracked a few times by mosley and to his credit he comes right back he showed he had a chin he showed he could recover he showed he, he had a plan b and a plan c and the same thing happened with Maidana. He got rocked in the second fight. Like when you see him stumbling around at the end of the round, Floyd had everything, everything, total package as a fighter. But it tells you something when that's where the most excitement is generated with the potential of them being dropped or losing. It was never cheering him on to win. Go back and watch any of these fights. The 99% of the, the emotion generated is booing, or cheering on the other guy to try to motivate him to win. And so that's where he made his money, but it's also why he's not a love champion. It's also why none of his fights as money Mayweather, unlike the, the first half of his career are really watchable. They're, they're, they're not exciting to watch, even though it's because he's so able to control the fights the way he wants them to be fought, which is as Jim Lampley told me, letting the air out of the balloon. And it's that over and over and over and over again. And it and it still is largely. Well, and and kind of like how I was hinting at earlier too, the way that fighters believe their career should go or a fight should go, you know, and, and what's best for them, what's best for their brain, what's best for their body, what's best for their uh, pocketbook. It might not necessarily coincide with what we want and what we want to see. And of course, what Larry Merchant and Jim Lampley always wanted to see over anything, which was a brawl. Don't get me wrong, fucking love them myself, but I'm also able to, you know, uh, appreciate other things. But, you know, th that's that's exactly what we're talking about here is how a fighter knows they should approach a fight versus, you know, what are they going to do to entertain the masses? And Floyd Mayweather, like you said earlier, didn't give a shit. He, that was not what the point was. The point was getting through the fight and winning and turning himself into a star by defeating Oscar De La Hoya, sucking his fucking aura, you know, taking his life force and moving on. You know, there can be only fucking one. Cut off his head. Go to the next Highlander. Okay, yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I've only seen that movie like once and it was a long time ago. But regardless, <laughs> you know, um, I don't think there was any question, though. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, he started out this fight and well, one of the and I'm just gonna say, you know what Floyd Mayweather is? Floyd Mayweather is Avatar, the biggest selling movie of all time. And has anybody ever brought it up for any other reason but how much money it made? Nah, not once in my life have I ever heard it mentioned. That is Mayweather. I dude, that it was like a blockbuster. I watched it once, was like, all right, you know, it's okay. And I'm not talking about Mayweather, I'm talking to Avatar, and then haven't seen the second one heard people yeah it was pretty cool i haven't heard about it whatever however month however many months it was that it came out, i could not give less of a shit and james cameron's talking about they're making like nine more movies I, keep making them i'll keep not watching them <laughs> and yet it made billions i mean even the second one made billions i can't think of anything that captured that much money that had less cultural significance 
And that's all I'm saying with Mayweather too, is, is he has enormous significance in terms of the marketing of these fights, but in terms of the actual product, it's like a restaurant where it's like, oh, I've heard all these incredible things. Nobody has ever talked about the food ever, ever. It's just, oh, the waitresses or, or the, the decor or whatever. But in terms of was the steak good? I don't remember. Like, uh, no, not really memorable. Eh, okay. That's kind of revisiting almost and, all of his fights. And just to kind of illustrate that, actually, just to illustrate that and kind of drive the point home before we get into the fight, I was there, not at the fight. I was there that weekend in Las Vegas because I knew that I could not afford to get tickets to the fight and I couldn't acquire tickets. They were like, they were inacquirable. You could not get them. And I knew that. And I also was not going to be able to cover the fight because, you know, every, you know how, you know, it's a fucking circus. And so sure. if you're not somebody big, you're, you're out of there. So I couldn't cover the fight. I didn't get, uh, you know, uh, I didn't get a media credential, but I was there in Vegas that weekend because all of my friends were going to be there. A bunch of people I knew were covering the fight, et cetera. So even just hanging around because that's the environment. It was so huge. Every Burt Sugar's chilling. Everybody's fucking hanging around, you know, and I will say too, they, with the whole, uh, the tropes about Deloitte and the women, they're true. They're true. I've never in my life. And I've been to Las Vegas a lot of times. I've been to Las Vegas a lot of times. Never in my life have I seen just more dressed up and just beautiful women out walking about than at Deloitte fight weekend. Never. And I mean, it's, he's not a bad looking guy, but I mean, the idea that women would be attracted to that. Have you ever heard him open his mouth and talk about anything? Anything? I just, I've, I've never met a more uncompelling, you know, deficit of charisma individual in terms of their personality and what they have to say about anything than De La Hoya. I mean, he's the most anodyne, prosaic personality. I mean, when he loses big fights, it's incredibly boring what he has to say about it. When he wins the big fights, it's boring. Um, and yet he's he's a very compelling athlete doing his thing. But it's it's just a, a funny schism. Yeah. there's And, you know, to further kind of like get into the schism here of what we're watching versus what people want to see here, uh, round one of Mayweather De La Hoya, uh, I thought it started out just about, you know, it was a kind of a preview of what we were going to get the entire fight, really. Floyd Mayweather shot out some really strong jabs to open up the fight, landed a, a couple. And then on top of that, a preview of the kind of commentating he was going to be getting on HBO. They didn't mention it at all. <laughs> Mayweather <laughs> like cracked him with like two or three like real nice jabs. And they're like, Oscar De La Hoya coming out looking good. And like, what the fuck are you guys watching? But that was, that wound up being a, uh, a theme we will revisit during the course of the fight. Not you don't you won't be able to revisit it. Unfortunately, you have another theme that you're going to have to revisit because you watched Jeez. a different version of Mayweather De La Hoya in terms of commentating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just before I get to that context of the fight, biggest pay per view in history, two point four million pay per view buys, biggest live gate in sports history, twenty four seven is invented. These guys both show up in immaculate shape. Uh, one of the cool things about this fight is that finally Floyd is fighting somebody who has the same reach as him because Floyd has an ungodly long reach. I mean, Terrence Crawford, even more Terrence Crawford, 74 inches, Floyd 72, but that is going to be an interesting feature of this fight in the first half. And the second half is that Oscar is able to out jab Floyd. He's able to actually do damage and, and dictate at times with his jab. Floyd is not at a safe distance away from the jab. Um, the other thing that Floyd does 
exactly vis-a-vis what we're saying about his tremendous showmanship. He shows up in a sombrero. He shows up in Mexican colors, and it's a Mexican holiday that they're fighting, Mexican Independence Day. Brilliant showmanship. Vince McMahon couldn't dream of this kind of stuff. It's it's magnificent to see him come out there and the hatred and vitriol that he's generating. My God, like what a showman. Brilliant, brilliant. And and uh, the fight sold out in three hours. So, I mean, there, there was massive attention and expectations going into this fight. So, yeah, I unfortunately did not rewatch this with the HBO broadcast. I watched... I, I wanted to, I was hoping that we could inaugurate the Dick Cheney Award for our podcast and, and give it to Colonel Bob Sheridan, obviously a decorated military veteran for that, that colonelship that he received, but also a survivor of four heart attacks and 12 angioplasties. He's real credit to the, the American medical system. He hasn't um, shot anybody at the head, it shot anybody in the head while hunting, right? That we know of. Well, not, not while hunting. He does claim eight kills in civilian life so again maybe that's where he earned this this colonel designation i think that's um, why he's got eight tear tattoos could, right yeah here. it could be um obviously made a name for himself recently by bragging about his willingness to use the n-word in private and uh, addressing publicly ring card girls as bimbos um and doing the impossible in terms of seemingly leaving Polly malinaji flustered with his antics towards women, race, and the weird bragging about killing people. And on top of killing people in that incident, he also bragged that a woman confronted him after a car accident and he knocked her out, which he deemed sort of unfortunate, but still laughing about it as he talked about it. So I got to Something enjoy- Something one does brag about. Something, yeah, I mean, why not? But But I got to enjoy his company for the 12 rounds, which is a singular pleasure because there is not any fight in the- 10,000 fights that he's called where he doesn't describe it as um what is it there's no place in the whole wide god's whole wide world that i'd rather be the hairs are standing up on my neck than right here right now with you whoever the co-announcer happens to be but i i just can't stand his shrill nonsensical i mean at the end of the fight he he plagiarized jim lampley by saying it happened it happened so yeah so and he doesn't shut up either (laughs) he's Horrible. So anyway, first round, I have, just as you're saying, Oscar looks tentative. Floyd's left hook and defense just controls the early round. Floyd's hand and foot speed are just so much more superior than Oscar. And I want to be clear with the audience, like the closer contest in this fight is how much I dislike both of these guys personally. So I really don't have a dog in the fight in terms of who I'm pulling for in this fight, which is also fun when you're watching a fight. You kind of hate both guys. Um, but both would be equally satisfying to watch lose, and, and for me anyway. So uh, another another narrative going into this fight is that Oscar had been tra- trained by Floyd's father, which was a big narrative strand in the 24-7. Floyd Sr. wanted $2 million to train Oscar. Oscar said no, offered 500000 and it gets declined, steps in Freddie Roach. Which is which is kind of interesting. It's interesting to see Freddie throughout this fight in the corner. I don't know that he made that much of a difference, but um, but I thought Floyd's foot and hand speed is just so superior that that Oscar just has to has to be willing to plot in Floyd. Not a heavy puncher, so there's not much of a risk. And Floyd and sorry, Oscar has a good chin, so he's willing to kind of jump in. 
But Floyd is just able to control the situation so that Oscar is not able to do, do much. And even two minutes into this fight, Floyd is already getting booed by the crowd with the way that he wants to, to conduct the fight. Yeah. So it's not just my bias against Floyd. This is go back and watch the fights. He's booed all the time and you never see him. You see him take pride in it, if anything. Yeah, he's it's, smiling. It's Big smile. Good. Fuck you. I'm the villain. I've already got your money. I don't have to please you. It, you know, you're going to pay for the next one because you're going to want to watch me lose even more. So, yeah, first round, yep. I had Floyd on fucking cruise control. Yep. I, I put it easy Mayweather round, Mayweather 10-9. Yeah. Um, and you could also hear, I mean, you you nailed it. There wasn't really much that happened that you missed, really. Uh, Oscar was having a tough time getting his jab working, whereas Floyd was working his. And it seemed kind of odd almost to look at because you could see Oscar is visibly the bigger fighter with more reach. But the speed difference is, excuse me, considerable, and you can you can see it. You can see that Floyd is largely avoiding anything that Oscar's throwing, but you could also see that Oscar's kind of throwing one shot at a time, and that ain't going to cut it. Um, and so you could also see that whenever Oscar does throw and get anywhere close, crowd, whoop, you know, yeah. and that's and that's a big factor in my opinion. And and again, I could also be biased too because of the reactions I get on social media. So I could be looking for Floyd to win these rounds. I might admit that. However, there's in a number of these rounds. There's just, there's not nearly as much there as what it initially looks like with uh, Oscar, you know, a bunch of that type of shit. Yeah. And, and so going into round two, uh, Oscar finally does come out kind of jabbing. He does uh, get his hands together a little bit better in round two. He clearly kind of turns it about and you can hear Freddie Roach in the corner saying, you know, don't throw one shot at a time, get your jab working, double jab, use your feints and things like that. And that's, those are the correct, that's the correct, you know, uh, equation or whatever the equations and whatever uh, boxing don't always work but you beat power with speed and you beat speed with timing you know it there's it never works exactly quite that way obviously but that's the right it, thing to say to oscar de la hoya to beat floyd's speed to kind of interrupt his timing interrupt his rhythm with a jab etc oscar starts doing that in round two it and finally does kind of get floyd to the ropes start kind of roughing him up a little bit but that also kind of sets the tenor for what I think the commentators and the crowd are expecting and reacting to. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, um, like, like I just did, a lot of, <laughs> you know, type of, they call it shoe shining type of shit where it really doesn't do anything. Even, punches might even land. Punches might even make the fighter, you know, their head snap back a little bit in the clinch. But when you even slow it down, it's like nothing's really landing. Nothing's like, you know, firm you know, connect and shit like that. Floyd's rolling with a lot of what's going on. Nonetheless, I still think the second round was probably an Oscar de la Hoya round. He got his offense going far better in round two. Yeah, I mean, the highlight of the first two rounds is Bob Sheridan in response to Floyd wearing the sombrero and all that cultural appropriation is saying, look, I know this family. He's a good kid. And uh, I'll just say... He's not a good kid. You beat women repeatedly in front of your kids. You're not a good kid. And guess what? You know, and wearing a sombrero is like, you know, low yeah. on the list. You know what I'm saying? Floyd, Floyd's dad used Floyd Jr. as a human shield when like, he was a drug dealer and I think a pimp and somebody came in to rob them, picked up his son to use it as a human shield. You know, that makes you a bad father. 
And it also explains a lot about why your son maybe doesn't see his own intrinsic value as a human being and needs to wear a lot of jewelry and um, get a lot of women around him who sign NDAs. It's not exactly down. like Floyd's trying to make some cultural statement or something like that by wearing a sombrero. Oh. He's poking at De La Hoya and his fans going, look at what I can do. That's all. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying I like it. I'm like, yeah, it's everybody put on a sombrero. But yeah, this is I'm low sorry. on the list of crimes here. They're like Bob Sheridan saying... That, that society is oppressive by not allowing him his inclination to use the N-word in public. Like, we're just too politically correct. Yeah, good luck with that argument there, Bob. So anyway, yeah. So second, I want, I want my First Amendment right to say whatever the fuck I want. Great, take it. But why do you want to say that word is my question. Why the fuck do you want to say it? But yeah, anyway. Yeah, just, just thanks, Colonel. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might have to return to the Colonel's commentary a little bit because it was a slog to get through that man i had floyd coming out in control in the second in the second round brilliant movement i mean his movement is so nice and fluid and smooth like just the the ring generalship about where he's positioned in order to just have the exact distance he needs adjust to the aggression you can see he's trying to figure out oscar because as you mentioned oscar's bigger than him Oscar was at the weigh-in 154. Floyd was 150. I think Floyd came in even lighter. Oscar definitely came in heavier. Um, and they both look in great condition. But but Oscar's a much bigger man than Floyd, and he's got the same length. So Floyd is a little bit unsure about how to how to really handle Oscar at the beginning of this fight, uh, the first half of it. But nonetheless, Floyd is still making some adjustments in order to control him. And then Oscar steps on the gas about halfway through the second round. And after, especially after the first minute, he starts this pattern of the flurries, which I agree with you are not particularly effective. Um, but I would have to reward, and this is going to be a pattern in this fight in terms of scoring. There's a lot of subjectivity in terms of what we score. Sometimes I'm inclined, if somebody's defense is controlling a fight more than the opponent's offense, I'm inclined to give them the round at times. A lot of people won't. They only re want to reward aggression. And I, under I understand that, but I find myself susceptible to seeing the defensive, like the defensive genius of Floyd saying, really, this is what he wants the guy to do because he's a counterpuncher, especially going backwards. Um, but I thought Floyd, Floyd was not able to do enough to defend against Oscar's offense and aggression so that I thought Oscar came out, came out on top in the second round. Yeah. And, and then like third Oscar is just pouring on pressure. He's clearly stepping up maybe to the detriment of the second half of the fight. Cause I think he kind of runs out of gas, stops using his jab in the second half of the fight inexplicably because it's his most effective weapon early on. You see him snapping back Floyd's head. He talks about it at the end of the fight. Why would you then abandon it? Cause nothing else you're doing is working. Um, and uh, Floyd's D is blocking most of the shots, but Oscar is just more effective than Floyd. Floyd has not been able to figure him out yet. So part of the drama is, is he going to be able to figure him out? Which ultimately he does. But but early on, you're sort of like, wow, Oscar, if he can maintain this pace as a 34-year-old, I think he's four years older than Floyd, Floyd might be in trouble. Not as much as Castillo. Castillo, that was a much more flustered Floyd, but... And I think also Maidana in the first fight, that was a more flustered Floyd, but um, Floyd is having some issues in the second round. Not a ton, but some. Yeah.
I agree. I scored that for Oscar. Thought he outworked him a little bit. Um, even though not a lot of his offense was super effective, not a lot of it was landing. And also, even though it's kind of uh, it's nebulous because you don't really know how much damage anything is actually doing. You're not that fighter. You don't fucking know. However, you sometimes can visibly see that punches that are landing are having an effect, whether they're slowing a fighter down, forcing them to stop, forcing them to reset, screwing up their rhythm, etc. Those are effective. And Oscar De La Hoya was at least somewhat effective in the second round. Round three, though, you do see that um, Roger Mayweather telling uh, Floyd that he's he's going to, he says, I quote, you're going to get Oscar down the stretch. He ain't doing shit just walking in, which in a way is kind of true. He's not really Absolutely. lying. No, nope. you know, and it doesn't seem that way at the time, especially if you were watching live, you're going, damn, you know, Oscar might be starting to give him the business here because that's kind of what it looks like at first. But then round three starts and you can see that Floyd has kind of dialed in. Oscar's trying to do that shit again. He's but you can see where it stops is that Floyd starts landing lead right hand and right hand counters. As soon as Oscar tries to jump in, boom, right hand. As soon as he tries to jump in and gets on his front foot, boom, right hand. And it's yeah. the kind of shit that uh, Bernard Hopkins did to Felix Trinidad in their fight oh. where he w seen him as soon as he started to shift his weight, bam, right hand, lead right hand, lead right hand, go to the side. And he started doing that in round three where like, you know, again, it kind of looks like Oscar is going to get some shit going. And then in the last two minutes of round three, I don't even know that Oscar De La Hoya landed a single punch clean. Yeah. Well, and, and round four, I mean, Floyd's countering is is still so effective going backwards big difference between floyd's floyd's counterpunching style and and like mike tyson and terence crawford is crawford and tyson are counterpunchers who pressure floyd wants you to come in he wants your aggression in order to counter off you both are incredibly difficult to do counterpunching is is i think boxing at its best and sort of most distilled to to the sweet science but it is a reason why I think Crawford and Tyson generate so much more excitement is that pressure is more interesting to see what it does to your opponent. And there's more risk involved. Floyd, Floyd is about mitigating risk, deserves all the credit for being able to do that and control fights. But it's less exciting than taking that risk and putting yourself out there, especially when he knows that Oscar can punch and that Oscar has the same reach as him. But the hand speed disparity would make you think Floyd could take more chances if he wanted to. He's just unwilling to because he doesn't he doesn't think he has to. So I thought Floyd's defense is is in this round, in the fourth round, still more successful than Oscar's aggression. But is Floyd doing enough to win? And it's close for me. Um, Floyd does come forward in the last 45 seconds and demonstrates a shift in momentum which is exciting um but i still thought oscar did enough in the round to closely win it win it so i have it now three to one oscar so i thought that round four was a mayweather round but i put a little asterisk because i thought it was close um and also because uh, there was a point in the round where Mayweather was doing a pretty good job, but then Oscar, first of all, Freddie Roach told him to double the jab. 
which he did. Oscar De Loya started doubling his jab, started working his jab a little bit better. And then as soon as Floyd Mayweather went to the ropes, Oscar followed him there. And instead of just kind of sitting there and trying to, eh, eh, he grabbed onto him and uh, started wailing away on his body, maybe you know, six, seven times or so. They all landed, not sure how effective they really were, but they did land. And so in any case, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have been mad if anybody scored that round for Oscar De La Hoya, which if they did, that'd be 2-2 two, two on my card. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is and and now we're going into where I think Floyd begins to turn it around for me substantially. Floyd is just throwing pot shots that are so beautifully timed. Um, the timing, the slickness, um, the kind of reflexes and athleticism that are necessary. I mean, this is still Floyd at 30. It's not him at 25, and still like he's just the combination, um, the confluence of the experience with the remaining athleticism sort of like you saw with Ali a little bit where they're just they're they're just ring IQ is so extraordinary plus all that conditioning and the schooling is there that you can see Oscar who is a great fighter um you know like one of the things that's interesting about Floyd is he when you put him up against the other all-time greats well like people are talking about him and Crawford right now it's hard to see where Floyd looked great against great fighters that he faced it's just he made great fighters not look great that was more of his accomplishment than himself looking great in a weird way i mean that's that's how i feel when i watch him is i do think he's an all-time great fighter but it's more that he makes oscar look kind of pedestrian like the separation and the hand speed and the reflexes he takes advantage of it but he's not really willing to do more than that and unlike what crawford did with spence why he's getting generating so much excitement is that's a way to just be like emblematic, iconic fight of the decade sort of dominance with an undefeated multi-world champion. Floyd doesn't really have those in his Money Mayweather career, but I thought fifth round, I mean, he's just landing these incredible shots. His offense is disrupting Oscar terribly, and he rocks Oscar with one one minute and seventeen seconds left in the round, he really clocks HBO him. Crew didn't even know, didn't even mention it, didn't yeah, even say it. He cracks him. I mean, Floyd is he not, wobbled like he was like, Whoa, he, you know, he wobbled. And I I don't think Floyd is a heavy puncher, but I think he's an underestimated puncher. I think he just doesn't need to load up on his shots. He wants precision. to land, yeah, precision and cumulative damage. Uh, think of what he did to Arturo Gatti. If you don't think he can punch, Jesus Christ, yeah, that like was that. a beatdown. Oh, um, so yeah, he rocks Oscar coming in clean, crisp shots and Oscar keeps flurrying, but Floyd is coming back and he lands another big shot at the end of the round. I think Floyd's turned it around three, two. Yeah. I, I said it was a bad, bad round for Oscar. And, and unfortunately, like I said, you wouldn't know that. Listen to the HBO crew because Larry, I noted that Larry Merchant kept trying to peddle the narrative that uh you know that oscar's uh he, oh what a great showing from oscar de Loy. he's really you know and like really i mean i don't get me wrong he's not like getting his ass kicked i'm not trying to say you know you guys aren't seeing this but that wasn't the fight i was watching and on top of that like i said they were not really mentioning these really clean big shots that uh, mayweather was landing on oscar de la hoya which were far harder and far cleaner than anything oscar was landing without question so i mean at least on my card i have it 4-1 
Floyd through five rounds, which I know a lot of people are going to be like, that's fucked up, but that's how I had it. I mean, the next round, I had a metaphor that I was trying to work out the plumbing of to get it right. But when you think of boxers who are trying to land and not, not get caught, it reminded me a bit of like, you know, the film Heat, where it's like we, or, or no, maybe it's Point Break, I think, where you don't go into the vault when you're robbing the place. You just go for the cash that's up front because it's safer. Floyd's discipline is he never goes into the vault and he doesn't need to because his defense is so good, but he's not willing to stay in the bank for three or four minutes and potentially get into trouble. Oscar has to go after the vault with Floyd because he's not able to do enough damage to win rounds or to score. So he has to take these chances. So this is, this is the struggle in this round that becomes the entire fight is is just Floyd's discipline at not taking these chances and the the subtle but consistent erosion of of I think Oscar's stamina and also his game plan becoming more limited. Yeah, he's he's going to begin to abandon the jab completely even though it's been his best weapon and he's just extremely predictable. Floyd's become a matador with a stupid bull who's going to charge and charge and charge and Floyd has no trouble creating new angles to score on counter shots and to get out of harm's way so oscar lands a good right hand in the last minute but to land it he endures about 30 pot shots and and a lot of those land so i thought it was one of floyd's most dominant rounds and um and you can just kind of see that oscar is getting in a worse and worse position to be able to claim victory in these rounds and Floyd has sort of worked out the crossword puzzle of Oscar. Like, okay, I get it. I know what I need to do with these adjustments and I don't think he has a plan B and ultimately Oscar doesn't. So Floyd has tied up the fight on my scorecards. And interestingly, interestingly, I thought that was actually an Oscar De La Hoya round closely. Uh, I thought that he took it at the very end because he finally uh, it's funny because even though I thought that he probably got outworked on offense, he finally started to uh, try something a little bit new, which is probably partially out of desperation too, but he started boxing a little bit. He abandoned his jab, which was long-term the wrong thing to do, but it got Floyd uh, missing a little bit more than usual in this round as he started to move his head and then came on late. But like I said, close round and through six, you know, I got it still four to Floyd. Um, which is only one round off from being tied through halfway. But nonetheless, uh, I felt like it was starting to, even though I gave Oscar that round, it was not like some momentum changing round. It was like, eh, you just stole that, buddy. You got lucky. And that's kind of how it felt to me. Um, and then round seven, kind of a slow opening, which is exactly what Mayweather wants. You know, he wants Oscar sitting back and thinking. And that's pretty much what Oscar does almost every round for the rest of the fight is sitting back and thinking. Um, and so Mayweather goes to the ropes about 30 seconds in and just lets Oscar throw punches. And he literally just like stands there and you could tell that the HBO crew is like, Oh, this is bad for May Mayweather, but he's just standing there. Cause Oscar's not landing anything. It's a bunch of like, ah, da, 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 you know, and it's kind of going off his shoulders, kind of glancing off the side of his head type of stuff. And he's just, he, he, he didn't care. There's nothing there for him. Um, and so that's kind of the tenor of this fight is that Oscar's trying to wade in with these short combinations and then doing nothing in the meanwhile, like, you know, gain back, you know, moving his head, bap, bap, you know, eating some punches, jump in, 
and then you know that's this is the established pattern for this fight yeah and it, and it's less compelling to me as I, I say there there's an analog to this fight like adjacent to it which is Maidana in the first fight it's similar it's just more effective Maidana's game plan um and again I mean to be fair Mayweather is quite a bit older but Maidana's power and just the weirdness of the way he flings those shots like a catapult. It's oddly open. effective, yeah. It's oddly effective with, with what Floyd's defense is because it just seems to catch him on the temple a lot. And you can see him like deeply annoyed and almost offended. This isn't supposed to reach me because the style is meant to protect from straight shots to twist and counter off of it. But when they're clubbing shots like that, which Oscar doesn't throw, Oscar, as you say, Oscar's coming in pretty square and he's sort of trying to, you know, find something in here. But Maidana, it's very much these sort of Ferris wheel shots. And a lot of those got through on Mayweather. You could see he was, it was, it was a very new experience for him to not be as protected as he was and to deal with somebody with such volume that was coming at him. Oscar, Oscar is not, is not putting, most of those shots don't, are not fastballs. Right, They're, like he's really not loading up on much. He's and just... Oscar was far more concerned about what was coming back. Maidana was kind of just like, whatever, you know, whatever you got, I'm going through it. And Oscar no. was kind of like, oh, I'm getting hit, you know, like, whoa, shit. And yeah, I there's mean, a big difference. Yeah, I mean, Maidana basically confiscated the testicles of Roberto Duran and fought with them his entire career. Like, I mean, not many people. I mean, look what he did to Adrian Broner, where it's like, you think you're a badass from where you come from, like. I mean, the colonel may brag about killing people. Maidana is not bragging about people that he's killed, but I would not be surprised if he's killed people. Like he, he tough guys don't try to act tough. You always got to be wary when somebody's got a tattoo of a gun on them. You know, like you always yeah. got to be fucking wary. Yeah, just Maidana is a different, diff, different breed of 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 tough guy, and I think that's why like every picture you see with him, he's like happy and nice. He doesn't need to pretend to be tough, just like George Foreman. Like you're around Mike Tyson, you're aware a lot of the tough guy thing is an act, taking nothing away from how like amazing he was as a boxer. George Foreman doesn't pretend to be a tough guy. He is a tough guy. Like he's terrifying if you go go too close to a certain line. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I thought Oscar came on in the in the seventh round. You know, he's trying to do something to sort of salvage his ineffectiveness with Floyd. He corners Floyd twice, but missed the vast majority of his shots. He's just not effective. Um, Floyd regains the momentum after the first minute. And then Oscar ends the round with a flurry. I just thought Oscar did enough with his aggression to very, very closely win the round. But if you scored it the other way, or if you have even rounds, I would be okay with it. Um, like, like after scoring this fight, I sort of talked to some people I know who were around at the time. I was like, how did you see it? If you scored this fight a draw, I would not be like, you're crazy. I don't personally see it that way, but um, but there are a couple of close rounds in this fight. Like even you and I now are have a bit of a discrepancy in how we've scored some. And it's not like, I don't know what fight you were watching. It's just, what, what do you value with Floyd's defense and sort of the pot shots versus Oscar's aggression? But I thought Oscar in a very close round won it, and I have him up now four to three. Going into eight, let's see. I think I gave Oscar two, so that would be five two for Floyd. If you looking at my card with one or two close rounds, so I mean, you know, there's a little bit of a swing there. But going into round eight, you know, um, 
<laughs> so again, I noted Larry Merchant's whining that Mayweather can't depend on Oscar getting tired. But I mean, that's just not the fight I'm seeing. You know, to me, it, the way that he's expressing it is like Mayweather's just waiting around. That's not what I saw. I saw Floyd Mayweather like, you know, smacking Oscar around in the meanwhile. It's not like he's just sitting there letting him throw and letting him get tired. He was, but he was also, you know, throwing plenty in the meanwhile too. So I couldn't get with what Merchant was watching with this fight. It just was something that I wasn't quite seeing. Um, but also, you know, uh, another thing is that Oscar really wants to get his jab going. You could see that he does. And that from time to time, he tries to get it going. Floyd's jab is so much better, so much quicker, and he's getting his right hand working that Oscar just stops. You know, he throws a handful and it's done. And that's what happens again here in round eight. Yeah, I thought I thought Oscar's trying to put on the pressure, but it's just not working. I mean, he's getting Floyd against the ropes, but Floyd is very comfortable in his shell, and his defense is just effective to just make most of the aggression pointless. And um Oscar just looks as if he's plotting at this point and Floyd is totally content to just pot shot him. And, and I just thought he did enough with the pot shotting in terms of landing enough of it. And I, I also credit his defense and, and his movement around the ring that I, I, you know, I just thought Floyd, Floyd just looks like the dominant fight. Like what's happening is what he wants to be happening. And for that reason, I gave him around. And then just in the ninth Oscar's landing the occasional jab and and one flurry against the ropes, but Floyd Floyd's pot shots now are just taking over the fight, and there's nothing Oscar can do about it. He's unable to disrupt it, even though he knows what Floyd is trying to do. You can just see again this Matador thing is just Floyd has found his stride and has basically unriddled anything that Oscar can do, and Oscar is not adjusting his game plan. So. I had it. It's either a Floyd round or an even round for me because it was still close. Um, I think I had it scored even, but I but I would probably lean toward Floyd in hindsight, remembering the round. So Floyd would then be up five four on my scorecard going into the tenth. I the notes I had Mayweather in both rounds eight and nine, and my notes were HBO crew is fucking tripping. Mayweather is easily winning this round. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it was, it, it, uh, there was basically a lot of Oscar, a lot of the stuff that he's trying and the stuff that it seems like he's breaking through with, it's just not landing very clean. And on top of that, it's not keeping Mayweather from doing anything. It's not stopping his momentum. It's not really breaking up his rhythm. It's not really doing anything. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of ineffective aggression and that's kind of what may or what Deloy is, you know, hinging this on and hanging his hat on in this fight. I, I just, I'm just not really seeing the effectiveness of it. He's trying to get Floyd Mayweather uh, pinned down. And in my opinion, Harold Letterman had it pegged going into the 10th. He gave his score. Um, he said, he's not impressed by Oscar Deloy's occasional flurries. Oscar's fl- following Floyd around too much that's exactly what i said too and like a number of my rounds that oscar is just following around too much he's not cutting off the ring he's not doing any of that type of stuff um and then in round 10 mayweather darting in and out avoiding most of oscar's uh uh offense oscar was letting his hand go the crowd's getting all into it ah, you know except for most of what's being landed effectively is for mayweather again yeah i mean 10th round uh Oscar's doing his flurry thing. He's very, very square 
that's a thing you notice right away is that Mayweather's angling is so effective at just at, at nullifying what Oscar's trying to land. So open for the right hand when he does that. So like he's open. doing this type of stuff and it's just like, dang, dang, you know, like. And, and who throws that counter right hand better than Floyd? I mean, that, that counter right he has where he leans back and then thrusts forward like a lance with his right. It's so beautiful. And I mean, he was able to use that into his early 40s. Um, which is, you could just see that the fighters he was doing it to had never seen anything like it as a counter. So, I mean, that's where Floyd deserves all the credit in the world for his boxing ability. And also his left hook is nothing to sneeze at either. I mean, he because if you're trying to really adjust your game plan to deal with that right hand, he'll crack you with the left hook. And, and it's got some real torque on it too, even though it doesn't feel like there's body weight on it, but it's a whiplash, like a mace on a chain, well, kind that of thing. speed really takes you by surprise oh, you know like getting yeah. hit by a, a punch you just don't see or don't expect is just different yeah and and that's that's where floyd's power is because he he's he's not like a like his dad they're not guys with big legs to generate power down there most most big power punchers it seems to come through the hips a lot more or like a really strong core um floyd is just freakish and he's i think broad shoulders and extremely long arms but he's there. Neither of those guys were really loading up. And Roger Mayweather too. I mean, just legs like a giraffe. Well, he was the puncher of them. But even he so, was, he was yeah. not. Yeah, he was not a a stocky guy. He was pretty spindly. Yeah, yeah. So, tenth, uh, I just thought was all Mayweather. Um, just that Oscar just had no effective mm -hmm. aggression. And, he almost looked uh, dejected at a couple of points during that round. He looked like he was starting to go like, "Oh shit." Yeah, and I think a big part of that was the conditioning. Is I think here's the turning point for the conditioning. Floyd, Floyd could fight another ten rounds. Oh, he looks um, fresh as a daisy in there. Yeah, um, Oscar, he's got the six pack, but I think this is you know when you're in between fights. I mean, Tyson was another one throughout his entire career, ballooning to 250 pounds, 260 pounds. There's a consequence for that that kind of thing. I don't think you ever get into the same condition of guys that are just consistent year round and floyd is definitely that floyd probably right now is you know ran this morning at three o'clock in the morning like it's just that's his entire he's, life he's probably still like 155 right now you yeah. know what i mean like he's <laughs> kidding yeah me? um so 10th easy to score mayweather he's now up six four and in the 11th i thought floyd steps it up and kind of turns a corner and being more offensive and this new gear just makes oscar look bad I mean, Oscar, you feel you feel sorry for him kind of at this point more than at any like it doesn't feel competitive in the way that it has like you don't feel that Floyd is at risk now. He just looks so limited and uh, all that he really manages to do Oscar is just land one good shot at the end of the round, but maybe the easiest round of the whole fight to score Floyd is now up seven four. Yeah, I uh, the HBO crew finally acknowledged it in round 10 because it was like there's nothing there was nothing for to take from Oscar. You know, like, there was no convincing way he ran. He won round 10. And then in, in round 11, it was also a fairly dominant uh, Mayweather round and they had nothing to say about that. But yeah, it's the same thing. Um, Oscar's clearly getting tired. And you could see that Floyd's kind of feels like he's got this in hand. Like he's, there's not really a whole lot to do left to do unless he really wants to go for stopping De La Hoya, who you said correctly, a uh, very good chin throughout his career. He always had a very, very good chin. 
Uh, and he was not, he, he went down a handful of times when he was, you know, in his younger pro days, but he was not the not like Felix Trinidad, you know, Felix Trinidad got dinged around quite a bit, but he'd get up to win and like blast dudes out. Anyway, Austin Deloy, a good chin Mayweather. You could see he's not really going to be going for the knockout here. Uh, but going into round 12, let's see one, two, three. I think I got it. Gosh. Um, fuck. Man, I got only two rounds for for Oscar De La Hoya going into round twelve. So obviously, you know, I have it a pretty strong uh, Mayweather fight going into round twelve with a couple of close rounds. Uh, but I do have to say, Oscar did step it up slightly in round twelve. Although Mayweather also seemed like he was kind of like taking the round off a little bit. Didn't really seem like he was uh, putting a ton of effort into it at the time. But that being said. Um, it was a fairly close round. Oscar was trying to flurry and put some together. I wound up scoring it for Mayweather, but with an asterisk on that one too for a close round. So again, I know I got it dominant for Mayweather in this fight. I just didn't see the type of Oscar De La Hoya fight that a lot of people apparently saw. Um, I know that like aggression is big and that offense and whatnot is big for a lot of people, but I just didn't see a lot of punches landing. I think that's a fair take. And I mean, once you move to the statistics, it's overwhelming. And Floyd points that out as soon as the fight's over. It's like, where are the punch stats? Because And it backs up his argument enormously. Um, then again, he certainly wasn't saying that when he he beat Castillo. Because the punch stats in that fight, you go, what what, what fight were the judges watching? So it's, it's interesting, like that sometimes the punch stats really seem to reveal the fight that you watch. And other times... It doesn't feel so overwhelming. I, I thought this was a fight where the stats looked a little different than they felt for me. And I heard a couple other people say that too, that when they they saw the stats, it seemed way more in Floyd's favor than the fight seemed to demonstrate as they were watching it. Um, I'd say a little bit for me, but 12th round, um, I thought it was emblematic really of the whole fight as Oscar tries to muster one last attack. Had he won the round with the judges, he actually would have got a draw in this fight because ultimately it's a, a split decision win for Floyd. And on Jerry Ross scorecard, she gave it 115 to 113 for, for Floyd. So had Oscar been able to win this round on her card, um, Jesus, a draw. I mean, it's kind of amazing given the fight that we've been discussing here. Um, but I just thought that Floyd was able to make Oscar look pedestrian. In, in the round that there's just Oscar, this, this guy who was auditioning to be an all-time great fighter just against somebody like Floyd just doesn't look great. He looks very good, but he certainly doesn't look great. And, and I mean, I thought Maidana was way more surprisingly solid and effective and dangerous in their first fight than Oscar ever looked in this fight. I didn't think there were any moments where Floyd looked in danger, whereas there were that was a really exciting fight for me with, with Floyd. It's just, I thought, fuck, Floyd is feeling these punches in a way that he has not uh, felt danger from a puncher. Um, the aggression is just putting him way more at risk. So I just didn't think Floyd was just able to control this guy in a way where Oscar just could not impose his will on the 12th round as he wasn't able to in the whole fight. So definitely gave it to Floyd, which would make it an 8-4 fight on my scorecard if you know one one other round would go to oscar you know seven seven five at best i think so i i don't understand people that would say when they watch oh oscar clearly won 
Um, and then, as I say, that's before we even discuss the punch stats where um, Mayweather, you know, Oscar threw 587 punches to Mayweather's 481. So about 100 punches difference. But Mayweather outlands Oscar by 85 punches. He lands 207 to Oscar's 122. Mayweather's landing 43% of his total punches, including 57% of his power shots. That is insane. 57% to Oscar's 24% of power shots. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know that there's a big discrepancy between what I saw and the punch stats, except for what I would say is Oscar probably landed more than what the punch stats suggest. However, like what were the quality of those punches that that's were even landing? Great you know? point. Great point. And that's and I think that that's a, a big portion of it for me was that Floyd was landing precision shots, precise counters, um, and on top of that, you could visibly see them wearing on De La Hoya and forcing him to reset, forcing him to kind of get his rhythm back or whatever. Um, I'm I'm not going to be belabor the point. I saw it as a Mayweather fight. I I scored at ten two. However. If you give those close rounds that I gave to Mayweather to Oscar De La Hoya, then that's an 8-4 fight, which is considerably closer and less of a domination. You know, and it sounds almost strange to describe it that way, like only two rounds going another way, and it's a totally different fight, perhaps. But uh, nonetheless, I saw it as a pretty firm Mayweather victory. I'm not entirely sure what these people who saw Oscar De La Hoya clearly winning, I don't know what fight they were watching at all. Well, they apparently were watching the same fight that Floyd Sr. watched, because when he was asked for comment about who he thought won at the end of the fight, he thought Oscar won, that his aggression should have been credited, clearly trying to petition to get a job. Yeah. Uh, he'll be back as you I'm the only one who could teach him how to beat him in the rematch, you know. Yeah, that's exactly. Exactly. But well, no, I don't, I don't see it as a, I wouldn't say it's, you know, a brilliant performance by Floyd or a particularly brilliant fight to rewatch. Um, but clear victory, just an absolutely clear victory. I, I don't know. I don't know from what perspective you could really watch this and say, oh yeah, Oscar clearly demonstrated that he won the fight. I mean, the most contentious fight in Oscar, sorry, in Floyd's history, obviously is the, the first Castillo fight. The second one was very close also. And I can see there you kind of saying, you know, on, on both sides, I could see it as a draw. I I personally saw it one or two rounds in Castillo's favor. Um, but Floyd was having trouble that entire fight. Floyd was not comfortable in that entire fight. Whereas in this fight, Floyd is comfortable about 85 to 90% of the time in this fight. And generally, I don't know how you're not going to win a convincing victory if that's the case for anybody yeah. sort of thing. And the statistics just double down on that triple down on that so yeah. i don't i don't understand the people that are are in oscar's camp for winning this fight yeah and i think a way better case against trinidad that to say that he won that and also and one of the first things out of oscar de la Hoya's mouth is i guess it wasn't the night of the jab and i'm like buddy you fucking didn't even throw your jab in half no. of the rounds bro like i don't even know what you're talking about i so knocked I, his head back i heard him i knocked his head back and throw more of them then why well, did, yeah. you, why did you stop then? Why did you stop? He could feel my punches. I was hurting him. You didn't hurt him. No, not, a, not at any point in the fight was Mayweather hurt at all. Um, no. Well, and and that's kind of part of the epilogue 
of this fight is that they were supposed to have a rematch. The rematch, I'm sure, would have done crazy business, would have done, yep. would have been massive, but Floyd chose to skip it and say, now nah, I'm going to retire instead. And then unretired later on, which is a common story. We all know it, but, um, you know, they were, they were about to run it back. A lot of people felt some kind of way about the decision. Even at the time, a lot of people thought Oscar should have won, could have won. Again, it's just not the fight that I saw, but you know, they were going to rematch. Well, who did, who did Floyd fight next? Did he come back with, um, what's oh, his God, name? Now I'm going to have to look. I can't, I can't remember. Let me see. Uh, so right. Was it after... Juan Mong who was next? No, Hatton. no, Ricky Hatton. That's right. Yeah. So, so he, they were going to rematch. I think it was after the Ricky Hatton fight. They were going to rematch the following May. Yeah. And so he fought Ricky Hatton, uh, you know, seemed to maybe have a little bit of trouble, although I'm not entirely sure how much trouble he actually had in that fight, similar situation, but he chose to uh, retire rather than rematch Oscar De La Hoya, which De La Hoya was all salty about. I would have been too, if I lost out on that payday, but um you know, and then that, and I think that kind of propelled the narrative going forward with matching Mayweather and Pacquiao, and they were kind of trying to one up each other at every step, you know, et cetera. Um, that's kind of where it went. Uh, they obviously Mayweather and De La Hoya never wound up linking back up, but like I said, in my opinion, I don't really see a reason why they would have, because a year later, Oscar would have just been a year older. I don't I don't see him doing any better in that fight. No, he wouldn't have done better. But but for people to look into, this is an interesting story that I've had independently verified by a handful of people in the sport, including very high up world champions. Floyd comes back against Wanma after the Hatton thing. You know, he had a, made a pile of money off of this fight, made a pile of money off of Hatton. Suddenly he comes out of retirement and there's rumors about him getting scammed by a guy named three comma Joe. Have you heard this story before? I've heard, <laughs> I've heard some, this was immediately prior to what were supposed to be some pretty bad tax issues for him too. So, I mean, yeah. it would kind of coincide, but uh, yeah. I've, I've heard stories. Yeah. Well, I heard a good story that, that three comma Joe sort of showed up and said, Hey, if you give me $50,000, I'll come back and give you triple it. He does it. Hey, you know, three months later, do you think you could give me a million dollars and I'll give you $3 million? And then on the third or fourth try of this same thing, Floyd reaches out and says, what if I gave you $15 million? And that's the end of Three Common Joe. He disappears. Floyd is close to bankruptcy. And as you mentioned, tax issues and stuff, and then comes out of retirement and fights Wanma. But, but it's a it's a story that when I've mentioned it to a few people in the sport, like way high up people, they've been like, you should not know that story about Floyd. Now, of course, it's been reported. I think there's a website, I just looked it up, Black Sports Online that mentions the Three Comma Joe thing. And I think there's a few others. I think the Daily Mail covered it and stuff. But it's an interesting epilogue to, to the Oscar fight that within the industry, there was some validation that this is actually a legit a legit con story within boxing for i think it was 15 million or more well with all with all due respect i'm not entirely sure if i would place bso or daily mail up on a pedestal of legitimate news sources no 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 However, i must say they are but but I'm that not... that also doesn't mean it didn't happen 
Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that the, that they are sure, sure, sure. it. I'm just saying that within the sport, I heard it from some private people. No, and I have as well. No, I have as yeah. well. And I just checked in with some people that were actually in discussions to work with Mayweather and stuff like that. And they heard it um, way, way high up. And they they validated, they corroborated that it was a legit story. And they were shocked that people knew about it. So it's just an interesting backstory about what kind of drove Mayweather to come back out of retirement, maybe a little quicker than he otherwise would have. Well, and there's there's a lot of other stuff kind of from Mayweather's background too with James Prince and whatnot that kind of goes yeah, yeah. into a, you know some underworld type of stuff a little bit. And so there's a lot of kind of uh, secretive stories and mythology that goes into Mayweather's background as well. But, you know, he's obviously controlled the narrative from this point forward, the De La Hoya point, uh, fight forward without question. Yeah, I mean, how, I mean, Mayweather's probably earned like how much total in his career just from boxing and not his gambling or whatever I mean and and his business you know whatever gosh I don't know hundreds of millions I don't know but I don't think he's earned a billion but I I think he has since with his investments or very close yeah. to it. But just, just from his boxing exclusively. But no, no, it would probably be hundreds of millions and mostly starting from this fight too, because this is this was when he really broke through, you know, and he was already getting paid in the millions before this, like for sure. But yeah. this was when he really, I mean, 25, fuck, 25 million? The fuck? Jesus. Well, yeah, but I mean, Pacquiao, Mayweather, I mean, whew. Um, and when you think about what he was earning prior, it's interesting, right? Because yeah, you say 25 million here or getting into the hundreds of millions. Um, prior to Oscar, I mean, okay, Zab Judah, five million. Arturo Gatti was a kind of jump for him. He made 3.2 mm-hmm. million. Um, Castillo fights 400 and 500,000, respectively. Uh, Corrales, he made two, seven, 275,000. So, you know, pretty remarkable trajectory, and he deserves all the credit for shaping that up outside the ring with how how we looked at him and how what we were paying for with him. He was able to recognize and diagnose in a way that Andre Ward is the exact opposite. Stubborn refusal to accept where fans are coming from. <laughs> in terms of what he's offering them. Floyd was just kind of like, no, I'm not going to change my style in the ring, but I'm going to repackage myself. And it worked better than anybody in the history of sports. Yeah. You, that can't even, can't even be argued. You know what I mean? It, it really can't be argued. You talk about the top paying athletes and stuff like that. And you go into other sports and they're getting paid. What Mayweather is getting paid for one fight. They're getting paid for like nine seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're talking about fucking like a thousand baseball games or something like, you know, one fight. So it's, it can't be argued. Um, and now obviously we've already talked about, you know, whether or not it's entertaining and what that means in terms of his soul you know, and where he has sold yeah. it for all of this. But yeah, it's, it, it's amazing. It's getting up there. And this De La Hoya fight is really where it changed. And and just like last thing though, if you think Oscar, I mean, did Oscar win any of his biggest fights? Did he lose all of them basically? The the well, the biggest ones that I can think of that he won were against Pernell Whitaker, which most people did not think he won, and then Ike Corte, which he just barely pulled out with a twelfth round knockdown. Yeah. 
So, I mean, and beyond, well, no, Fernando Vargas too. Sorry, Fernando Vargas. Beyond that, that I think that's it. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting legacy. Because, I mean, I, I love that he fought such tough fights. But at the same time, I think the Tito Trinidad fight will haunt him forever. Because, I mean, whew, that is a tough, tough pill to swallow when you look that unexpectedly dominant, only to just be like, ah, fuck it, I'll just get on my bike for the last several rounds and then bitch about it at the end. So, yeah, no, it's there. There, It's a, a very interesting. I mean, I think the Kardashian Paris Hilton analogy for what this fight represented for Floyd is is the biggest takeaway is that audiences are not paying for what's served on the plate. They're, they're, they're paying for the ambiance, the decor, and the service. <laughs> and and Floyd was able to recognize that from, from a marketing perspective, is that yeah. he could get away with it. Even if, going back to watch these fights, not many people are talking about, you know, any legendary nights, if they did did a new series of them, where would you put any of Floyd's fights as Money Mayweather? Like in terms of, of of fights commiserate with what he was getting paid for them, it's almost an inverse. The more he got paid, the worse the fight was <laughs> in most occasions. You'd have to like package them. You'd have to be like, let's do a legendary nights on these 10 Floyd flights. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, I think the last thing that I'd want to say is just that when you look at, at what a throwback fighter might be, honestly, Oscar De La Hoya kind of is a throwback fighter in a way yeah. because- uh, if you look at his ledger, you look at his resume, it looks perhaps similar, obviously more condensed to how a fighter from another era might look, fighting a little more often, fighting bigger names, and losing. Because yeah. when you throw your neck out there, it gets fucking cut sometimes. And so, you know, that's also speaking to Floyd Mayweather's legacy a little bit too, for sure. I think it also raises you know, why Why we hold Bobby Chez to be the greatest fighter of all time as well, in and out of the ring. In and out of the car. In and out of the car. In and out of the bar. You know, in and out of... <laughs> in, in and out, out of the brothel. Of <laughs> Let's yeah, just I mean, keep going down that road. There, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's just no better scaffolding in terms of the marketability of an athlete than your willingness to, you know, load up, get behind the wheel, and uh, try to help us understand to, to to just not look at the negative of drunk driving as a regular course of action. You know, look at the positives of it. Oh, New England, you got Bobby Chez. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I know at some point, I know at some point, this happens to me periodically. I don't know if it's happened to you. I guess New York, you're more prone to it. But like the other day, I was walking by a Starbucks and you ever seen... Raising Victor Vargas, the independent film. I know of it, yeah. Beautiful love story. So the girl who's in it, her name is Judy, and the, the real actress's name is Judy. I love that movie, and I fell in love with her when I was a kid, watching, I'm whatever, 15, 16 or something. And she was in the Starbucks just looking out the window, and I did this double take, and she must have wanted to call the police on me because I was like, is that you? But she's now 40, right? Like, she was like 16 in the film, and it's like, I, I still instantly recognize that it was her. I know this is going to happen to me with Bobby Chez. There's going to be some occasion where he's going to be at like a hot dog stand or something. 
and be like, you're that motherfucking asshole who keeps bringing up the mother's for drinking and driving. You, you know, it's going to be that kind of situation. I'm going to run into that fool at the Hall of Fame one day, and it's, I'm, he's just not even going to say anything and just come up and pop me. And I'm, and I'm just going to say, deserved. You got it, deserved. Yeah, he's going to come up to you and he's going to say, Patrick, I hope you get pneumono ultramicroscopic coniosis, you motherfucker. And I'm going to say, does anybody in Mensa know what that is? <laughs> do we have a Mensa member on here who could translate? And he's going to say, yeah, I know what it means. It's a volcanic disease with microscopic dust, you f- cocksucker. <laughs> End of conversation. <laughs> Scene. Exactly. Oh, boy. Bobby. Anyway, I appreciate it. Well, Bobby, we appreciate your patience. We appreciate you being a good, are you a good sport? Who knows? But I appreciate you uh, putting in the work, watching this fight, which I know is not the best fight in the world, and also watching those documentaries, which we both agree were not the best documentaries in the world whatsoever. I know it's a little bit of homework, though, so I appreciate you, too. It was a lot of fun. It was very fun. Um, I don't ever want to hear a fight called by the colonel ever again. Yeah, just hit me up. I'll try to find you that link, dude. Hit me up, and I'll try to save you that time. Yowza. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather, I honestly would rather watch a fight with Bobby Chez calling it than than the colonel well that's the next podcast idea dude fights with bobby holyfield jesus christ all right now we're getting dark yeah (laughs) everybody who listened into this podcast thank you so much whatever podcast app it was that you listened in subscribe give us a rating we appreciate that stuff as far as youtube goes Thank you as well. Subscribe, leave us a comment. We'll try to shoot a comment back. Social media, Knuckles and Gubs podcast is both on Facebook and Instagram. Individually, we are on Twitter. I'm refusing it to call out that other name, but if you're on Twitter and you want to follow my dude, Bryn, follow him at Brynicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. Follow me, Patrick Connor at Patrick M. Connor. And that is it, Bryn. We'll talk soon, bro. Follow Bobby Chez at Menza or Prison. (laughs) 